This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The opinions expressed in this episode are not to be construed as medical advice. Welcome to Demystify Beauty, a weekly podcast about transparency in the beauty space. I'm Mackenzie Westmore. And I'm Dr. Paul Nassif. Hi, Dr. Nassif. Well, I got to tell you, it's great this week because I have a good friend of mine, Dr. James Chow, who's an incredible plastic surgeon. You know, but what's different about him, besides the aesthetic parts of what we do, Mackenzie, mm-hmm. he does all different types of the reconstructive aspect. Now, I know we're wow. going to talk about beauty stuff, and I do want to talk to him about, we heard about Terry Dubrow's thoughts about BBLs, I want to really talk to him about that. But I do want to get a brief, when we get him on, I want to get a brief version when we talk about reconstruction of, you know, how many things he dips his hands into surgically. <laughs> shall we say. No pun intended. But not spent a lot of time in it. Exactly. So let's get Dr. Chow. Welcome, my good friend. Yes, welcome, Dr. Chow. Hey, Paul. Hey, McKenzie. How are you guys doing? Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to join you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, and everyone, he's in San Diego, but he's in San Diego, but he also comes up and sees patients at my office. Yep. Mm -hmm. Usually on Tuesdays. Yep. You know, it's great to have him here with us. All right, Dr. Chow, very briefly, because I want to get into the meat of this. What led you into the field of plastic surgery? And give us a little tidbit of what are some of the reconstruction surgeries that you are trained in that you like to do and you participate in now? Absolutely, Paul. I got into plastic surgery because it's really the only field where you actually get to operate from head to toe in all different systems, both Mm. the muscular system, the skeletal, as well as functional. And you are taught to think out of the box. You know, much like you, Paul, just your creative thinking. So I think that's what drew me to it. What I've done a lot recently, besides the aesthetic stuff, is really develop a hand microsurgery practice. I was the hand surgeon for the San Diego Chargers while they were down here for 12 years. Now they're the Los Angeles Chargers, and I still do (laughs) some work well with them. And I still take care of the baseball team, the Padres down here, and a lot of professional athletes in my hand practice, uh, as you know, Paul. And I also do a lot of microsurgery reconstruction. And one of the things I'm known for is to take a leg bone, the fibrillate straight, and bend it and curve it to reconstruct someone's jaw. With that, when they have cancer or they have an accident or something like that. So those are quite creative things that that we get to do in plastic surgery. So it's not just its form and function. That's what really excites me. What got you interested in this in the very beginning, like before you even started? What inspired you? The inspiration was really a combination of backgrounds where, you know, you could you could do clinical reconstruction. You can take care of patients and you get an immediate gratification where it's not like where you do something and it takes years for that result to come. When you leave the table, as, as Dr. Paul will tell you, it's got to look right. You know, his noses look perfect when they leave the table, right? And, and you oh, don't yeah. leave until you do that. So you get that immediate mm-hmm. gratification. And for, for me, the hand that it's got to function, it's got to be moving, right, and doing the right mm. things. And, and if you don't leave till you do so. So it's not like, well, we'll do something and, and we'll see if it gets better. Did you do that? And then plus, wow. it's, it's creativity. You know, how do you, you know, take your, your, your training and knowledge and come up with new things and you're encouraged to do new things. So that, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Matter of fact, yeah. um, you know, when it comes in, you know, my favorite thing, you know, is golf. And so he takes care of a lot of professional golfers too. Hmm. And he's actually helping me with my hand. But at the same point, besides the reconstruction, you are absolutely fantastic in the aesthetics arena. Oh, thank you. You know, what is your favorite 
cosmetic surgery to do? I end up doing a lot of secondary breast augmentation. So when patients uh, have their implants exposed or capsular contractures to, to fix that, I do uh, really a, a lot of breast issues. Uh, much like you know what you do, Paul, three-dimensional, the nose is a three-dimensional object. The breast is a three-dimensional object. You have to look at it. It's not a round ball. It could be a teardrop. It could be mm-hmm. a slope. Uh, so those, those what we call OG curves that give us great definition and, and beauty, right? Much like you have in your nose, Paul, that you, great jobs that you do, is that curve and that function and applying, you know, principles to that to get to that point. Very true. Then that, okay, leads to the next question for one second. So we have a lot of patients, and I think, Mackenzie, you know about this, you know, the breast illness disease. Correct. The breast implant illness disease. I want to know your thoughts about that. And then when patients come into you and they want their implants out, you know, what are some of the ways that you can make them look natural after, especially after that skin has been stretched by the implant? Yeah, because isn't that, isn't it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Chow, but isn't it when you have to go through a reconstruction like that, there's a lot of stitching that goes yeah. in with that to reconstruct, yeah. obviously, yeah. and a lot of scars left afterwards. Yeah, so there's, there is definitely a lot of stitching a lot of the internal scars, not just external scars, but the internal scars wow. are what you have to manage. So obviously the patient who has a massive, you know, leak in his breast implant that has the older implant styles, you really have to be kind of aggressive. And it can really cause disfigurement to the breast. And that's where a lot of my secondary or reconstructive experience comes in where we can then combine procedures where we are taking and treating a little bit like a reconstructive, but then having aesthetic goals as well. So we can then do some back grafting to help minimize scars, as well as we wow. can build internal bras to hold that breast tissue in shape and then reshape the skin over that. So using the patient's natural tissues to do that, as you explained, we can do this inflation or stretching of the skin with the implant and how yeah. do you control for that? Because, you know, that, right. that's going to come up in, in our future as well, uh, because, you, you know, one of the hottest topics that we're talking about these days is BBL, the Brazilian butt lift, the fat transfers to the booty. Yep. But I'm old enough, don't know about you, McKinsey, but I'm old enough to see that the ideal model was the Twiggy, right? The 1960s yes. Twiggy, you know, straight up and down situation and not necessarily the Kim Kardashian look. And, Not Kardashian, right. right. And so what will happen is, is that at some point, just like men's lapels, they get wider, they get narrower, ties, they get skinnier and get fat. There's going to be a contraction. And, right. and what do you do? What do these women who had their BBLs done in their 20s and 30s, they want some of that taken out? That's basically a deflation of a three-dimensional object, right? And how are we going to now uh-huh. do that and do that successfully? And that really is going to be understanding the soft tissue understanding how to rearrange that soft tissue that is left and then repositioning the mm-hmm. skin over the top of it. So not too different than what we do for these women who have breast implant illness and the treatments that we have to offer today. So I, I got two questions. So what are your thoughts on BBLs? I think BBLs are a operation that is, you know, very driven by media and looks. It has to be done mm-hmm. safely. And right now we've had some problems recently with safeties and, and, and things like that. There has been a task force and one of the major sites of this task force and cases and all that was actually here in, in San Diego. One of the authors is a, a good friend of mine that did some of that stuff. 
And so what we've come up with is a set of standards now or safety issues where we actually use ultrasound guided in real time to understand where that probe is going and where that fat has been deposited. Because in the past, some of these deaths have been attributed to fat embolism, where they've been placed in the muscle or they've been placed into a vein. And some of those veins in the gluteus area are as thick as large as my finger. So it's not a joke mm -hmm. when you get into one of those and then you put fat into it and you get a fat emboli into the head. Uh, and all of a sudden you stroke the patient out and, and things like that. And at the end of the day, uh, and I'm sure Paul agrees with me, we're doctors. Do no harm first. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, you know, going to a board certified plastic surgeon and don't go to, you know, in my case, Tijuana, which is 30 miles away from San Diego. Right. Because, you know, the weakest link uh, is the member of your team. You know, you may have somebody that trained in the U.S. that's down in Tijuana. But the person who washes the cannulas may not have been, and, and all of a sudden there's contaminated or there's other issues. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, God. You see, that's a great point. And we talk about that a lot on Botched, which is now. You know, because I know some great doctors. I mean, first of all, I have a lot of friends that are in different parts of Mexico, all through Mexico and South America. You know, first of all, there's some incredible doctors, incredible technique. But just south of the border sometimes, you know, as he mentioned, because we see these patients all the time, just like Dr. Uh, James does. You know, again, it's like that we, one member of the team, the doctor might be great, God. but something is contaminated or a post-op problem is not diagnosed. And that's where we get some of these devastating results. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. and when it comes to the BBLs in the beginning, when it first um, got started, I remember I might, I used to have a number of doctors in the surgery center and I was the medical director, and I remember one time, remember, I'm, I'm with you face. You know, I had a, a doctor, a young doctor who was aggressively injecting fat in the buttock area. And then a problem occurred with the respiratory system. Mm. And they didn't really, you know, the doctor didn't really recognize it and act quick enough. And then I was, I think, Called maybe five or six minutes after this patient wasn't ventilating properly. I said, well, what procedure do you? And they said, you know, BBL. And I said, she's got a pulmonary embolism. means it went to her lung. That emboli went, goes to the heart, then to the lung. And, you know, eventually, it, it, you know, she got transported to the hospital, but it ended up being fatal. You know, yes. especially right when she got to the hospital, maybe 20 minutes later. You know, she, and it was like, oh, my God. So, so I've been there witnessing you know, after the fact, of course. And and now the doctors, though, that we have, you know, that Dr. James does and some of the other doctors you work with, you know, very careful with it. And again, if you do something very carefully the right way and you are an astute plastic surgeon, if there is a complication, you're going to realize it right away. But two, you know, you're going to prevent some of this, these complications by your technique and is that the standard of care for this procedure now, is using an ultrasound? I know in some states, James, I mean, you have yep. to. Mm. Yes. In, in the state of Florida, you have to. That's mandated by the, again, that's where the majority of the death deaths have occurred. Mm -hmm. uh, ah. And in, in, yep. in, in California, it has not been there, has not yet. But again, at uh, Oasis and at Prime Plastic Surgery, where Paul and I are, our, our partners right. together in, in, in collective practice, uh, we are not about the lowest bar. We're about the highest bar. And that's really what the difference is, right, Paul? You know, the board certification for us is standard, but we're not here just to do board certification. We're really here to lead the pack. And, and, and Paul, with his history of leadership and why he's 
who he is, is that that whole idea. And, and all of our partners are the same way. We want to lead the pack. We don't want to follow the pack. So I think right now the right thing to do is real-time ultrasound, know exactly wow. where your probe is at what level, and uh, and be trained on the, the ultrasound, not just take a weekend course, but actually get certified doing that. <laughs> so all of our doctors are certified to have certificates, wow. the same type of certificate that a radiologist or a radiology ultrasound tech would have in identification of blood vessels, soft tissue, nerves, muscle, and cartilage. And that's what you have to do and understand wow. those differences. I mean, I have to say as a patient, that's what I love about what Dr. Nassif and I are doing with Demystify Beauty is talking to professionals such as yourself, because that's where I think many people make the mistake is they think they can go anywhere. But you've got to do your research. People, men and women, they need to do their research. They need to take the time to do the background, to really see exactly what you're talking about. Everybody on your team, both of you, everybody is certified. There is not one missing link in the puzzle or in the team. Yeah. And that's so important. Well, that's also where the you know, the anesthesiologist comes oh, into play gosh. too. So yeah. the anesthesiologist... Yeah. Yeah. Um, really has to also be astute when you're doing these type of things, you know. Yeah. Are you still seeing a high desire to have BBLs? And if you are, are they getting <laughs> asking for smaller buttocks, smaller booties? I, I would say that there's really the curve is no longer the standard distribution. It's starting to spread a little bit where I, oh. I start to see, you know, okay, I just want, you know, the dimple fix. You know, I just have this oh, little dimple so on the subtle. side. And the subtle, you know, I just have this little dimple that looks like a, you know, a Pepsi can that has just a little bink <sighs> in it. I just want that, you know, kind of rounded out, that dent popped out uh, uh, type of deal to the ones that, you know, I want to be bigger than Kim. The the, the ones in the middle, in my opinion, wow. have kind of, kind of naturalized out. And so uh, we're starting to see, you know, really what I call extremes where you get caricatures where you go, I, I oh, want this wow. to be the, my defining feature or I just want this thing kind of corrected a little bit. Interesting. I see for me, my, my growing up was Pamela Anderson and Kate Moss. So uh -huh. it was all very top heavy. <laughs> there was yeah. no bottom. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's very right. interesting to watch the trends and how they, they, you know, recycle, how they come back around, how they don't. I, I'm very yeah. curious to see how, how this trend will turn out in 10, 20, 30 years from now. Will we, Continue on to caricatures, or will it backtrack? No, I, I, I think it'll backtrack. It's just again, like I said before, like men's ties. You get some yeah. ties at a certain point. You keep them long enough. I can recycle my skinny ties from the eighties. You know, back down right. here. Right, right, uh, exactly, that, exactly. That so, and, but the problem is, is how do you then deal with the skin envelope and the sagging of that 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 right. if, you, if, if they if they've had one and they say, Doc, I'm I'm good uh, now. I'm in a different phase of my life. I like. I had it in my twenties. Now I'm in my forties. I like wow. to. I've had two children. I like to have some of that taken away, and plus the gravity of, of it has, has sagged down a little bit. And so we're going to see more say, uh, butt lifts, more than just the BBL, but the ah. two additional butt lifts, where we're going to shape the shift, shape the skin, and then also the ligaments and things that are underneath that to move that forward or, or north. Uh, and again, it'll be much like what, uh, again, Dr. Nassif uh, does with a deep plane facelift that then not is just the mm -hmm. skin, but actually the tissue underneath it and moving all that fat and that composite tissue up to give you that true natural looking butt lift versus just tightening up the skin. 
uh, type of deal. So I believe that that's going to happen in the future. I, I got to ask, because you are plastic surgeon, you are reconstructive surgeon. What is the most dramatic situation you've seen? The dr Man. most dramatic surgery case that you have ever put your hands on? Well, uh, there's a couple of spectacular ones. Okay, that, uh, I like spectacular. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I trained in New York City at the NYU Bellevue, okay. and uh, the helicopter police captain had his hand cut off by a rotor uh, and it landed 40, 40 stories on Madison Avenue. He was brought in, and the hand was brought in separately. They shot down Madison Avenue, and uh, they found the hand, and they brought him in, and we wow. reattached his hand uh, type of deal. So that was one spectacular uh, situation. Uh, and then wow. I've been involved with uh, a number of the uh, overseas uh, face transplants uh, that were done in China mm -hmm. uh, and, and things like that. Uh, so those are some very interesting, you know, out of the complete, out of the box uh, thinking and chases uh, there. So again, I've been very, very uh, blessed to be, have this, these opportunities, as I call them, to, to, to participate uh, in, in some of the, the stuff that we read about newspapers and and, uh, and have patients that make the news and that type of deals on blood. Well, wait, to, add, to add to that, um, we have, which will probably end up being the final segment of this season, season eight of Botched, Mm -hmm. we probably have the patient of the whole series. Yeah. And Dr. Chow helped me with her. A young lady oh. from Mexico City came in with this thing called a neurofibroma, which is a gigantic mass on her face. Mm. And we removed it. And we used some of the technology um, that Dr. Chow knows about and with me. And at my friends, uh, the CEO of Sharp Hospitals in uh, the San Diego County area, um, we did this case, and so we, you know, worked together. And um, that, you know, is going to be an incredible. Uh, I can't talk about the outcome yet. Of course, it'll be on eventually, <laughs> but that was an incredible case, you know, of doing that together. So I mean, it's it's nice doing these. Very complex cases, and that's what we do. We do very complex cases and easy ones, obviously, too. And, you know, it's nice, too, on certain cases, Dr. Chow and I are able to operate simultaneously. Yeah. So if he's doing something below the face, and I'm doing something on the face, you know, depending on what that is, you know, we can actually uh, go ahead and do it simultaneously. Yeah, we do a lot of double teams. Uh, it cuts the surgery time down. And, and we all know that wow. length of surgery uh, yeah. is uh, tied to outcome. Interesting. So less anesthesia, better outcome. Yeah. Well, you understand that, but that's a, a good point. I want to mention this to Dr. Chong, let him add. So a lot of patients will come in and say, well, you know, how much is too much in surgical time? And I do know if, like, when I'm operating on the face, since there's not a lot of what we call fluid shifts like there is in the body. Mm. And we could actually do, you know, lighter medication because we give a lot of numbing medicine in the face. I do know from my whole career, I have done, you know, I've performed a lot longer cases uh, than they do on the body. So tell us your thoughts about that, especially with body surgery and the do's and the don'ts. 
in regards to anesthesia and timing. Yeah, sure, Paul. So I 100% agree with you. The body has a lot more fluid shifts, and especially if you're doing liposuction or the BBL stuff, where you're, you as a surgeon are creating those body shifts by adding so much additional fluid, withdrawing that fluid, and then putting fat back in. So that's one of the, so the hemodynamic parameters that we measure. So I all, and it, so therefore, it's not only just the surgery, but where you do the surgery that's important. So most surgeries that don't have large fluid shifts can be done safely in an accredited surgery center. But the larger cases that have larger shifts may require overnight stay. Certainly when we do our surgeries, I do all my surgeries, I only work with board certified anesthesiologists. In fact, my anesthesiologist has been with me for 18 years, so I know exactly wow. what what he does and we're a team. So he, he knows, he's seen me do this thousands of times. He goes, oh, time for the paralysis. He doesn't give the paralysis at the beginning. He gives it exactly when it's necessary. He knows exactly how long you take. So he, he gives the exact right dosage so they don't wake up nauseous. They don't wake up vomiting. There's very little fluid shifts. He keeps on talking. So it's a team approach like we talked about in the beginning. That you are only the surgeon is only as good as the teammates that he Team. surrounds himself uh, with, and and then obviously these larger cases they really need to have overnight stay or monitoring or just be done in a hospital setting. It may cost the patient more, but what's the value of a life? Uh, there is no money that you can put on it. Uh, and again, as I said before. First, do no harm with doctors first. Now, I got to ask, you know, we, we touched on BBLs, but are there other uh, controversial surgeries that, that people are not talking about that you do think yeah. are successful? Oh, they're, they're the number one thing. And, uh, you know, I got some good colleagues to suggest and all that is, uh, you know, female sexual uh, issues and female sexual stuff. So vaginoplasties, labioplasties. Uh, again, there's so little research that is done in, in, in those, those areas in terms of menopause compared to, you know, erectile dysfunction, right? We've had, you know, wow. the little blue pill, it's gone through its life cycle, it's no longer patented, yet there's still no female Viagra type of uh, situation. So I think that's going to be the next wave of, of going wow. on. So, and again, September is uh, Female Sexual Awareness Month, so that's mm -hmm. coming up. So I think those would be great things to, to talk about uh, and, and get those uh, people on. Uh, I do a number of vaginoplasties and the labioplasties uh, in my practice uh, with what's going on. And, and I can tell you that patient population is quite silent. Uh, mm. And it shows like yours and, and your championship, McKenzie, as, as a female to put that information out there. It's going to be very worthwhile mm -hmm. because... I'll have people come in the waiting room and they don't even know each other, but they're happy to share their breast stories with each other. But the stuff that's down there, no one wants to share. And if you look at our website, it's all Googling after 1030 at night is when they come on. Uh, and so there's that oh taboo uh, type, type of that's a so situation. Sad. In fact, yeah, in fact, there's, there's an article that was recently published in, I believe, USA Today about that, the taboo of that issue there and it could actually be a trillion dollar industry when you look at what that looks like so it, it, i think that's going to be the next area that we we look at it on when that. you say you know so just so that again for our listeners when you talk about vaginoplasty can you give some examples of what you do what are the complaints how you fix it yes yeah yeah so 
very typical complaint is, Doc, I have pain now after I had given birth to my babies with sex because I had a tear or I had an episiotomy. Is it? And it wasn't put back correctly. The oh. doctor just stitched it and hogged oh. it together. Yes, you fast. put the layers back. There's, there's the scar tissue. Well, as a plastic surgeon, that's what we do. We manage scars, right? Everybody has a scar they wish to keep called a belly button. So I'm not a scarless surgeon. I'm a surgeon that basically controls scars, right? So you want to keep your belly button? That's a scar. I'm controlling it. So there's a scar down there because of the episiotomy. And so we can then make a Z-plasty and create laxity so the pain goes away. Or say, doc, I just, after delivering two 10-pound babies, okay, it, it's loose down there. Well, we can tighten that up. Or the labia got really large. It's interfering with my activities of working out. Uh, it, it, uh -huh. it, it, it gets caught. It gets pinched. It hurts. So these mm. are things that we can do not only for just looking better, but really functioning better with that. And, and they're all suffering in silence a lot of times. And, and, and a lot of them come to me and say, well, doc, you know, I haven't talked to my husband about this, but this is what's really bothering me. I'm concerned about this because if I say something, it may hurt his ego, whatever that is. Uh, and so those are so things sad. that uh, show, shows like yourself here what, that can talk yeah. about this and they can get information. There's nothing wrong with what that is. It's not a taboo well, subject. It's not, and it is important to talk about. And and I, I remember I posted something on my Instagram about this exact topic because yeah, I had yeah. surgery to remove tumors and it left me like the Grand Canyon, if we shall. <laughs> and I was not happy. <laughs> Sorry, just being honest. That's you know, yeah. but that's the honest truth. And I don't yeah. I don't see the taboo in it. And when I posted my story on my Instagram, I had people going, Oh my God, how could you say how, how could you talk about it's like, why not? You know, and I, I know I'm talking exactly. to two men about this, but you're two men that understand this. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I just feel this, this you're, I'm so happy to hear you speak about this because I feel this is a, a topic that a lot of women don't speak on. Yeah. Yes, we're so easy to talk about our boobs, but we won't talk about what's yeah. going on below the waist. And I think that's yeah. sad. Well, you, you know, at, some, at the same point, um, there are, in the first scenario, um, you know, there's the radio frequency that we have before surgery yes. that you can try. And like we have here, yeah. Thermi Smooth. I don't know where you have it, James, yeah. down yeah. there, but yeah. it's a wand. And mm -hmm. again, it treats a few things. One, um, it actually, with treating with the radio frequency, it actually adds a little bit because, you know, as women get older, they get more dry down there. So you get more moisture. Mm -hmm. Two, it actually increases the sensitivity. Three, it helps even with the um, incontinence. Yeah. Four, mm -hmm. it tightens. Five, it actually um, makes the, even the labia. It yes, does from all the inside those. and out. Yeah, inside and out. You know, with that. So we have patients that come in, and, and our nurse practitioner will take care of that. However, and that's always a good way to start. Yeah. You know, and then that, of course, you need to go from the there. extra, you know, depth into this. Um, and that's when you go to someone like uh, Dr. Chow, and you know, it's great. Dr. Chow, I want you to talk to our office staff about this <laughs> because I didn't know that that was one of your big specialties was, um, you know, working in the, uh, you know, you know, working in the vaginal area and all that. And See, so look what we yeah, did so, here, bringing worlds yeah, together. I love it. Thank but you. Every, Thank you, McKenzie. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's actually... You know, nice to hear 
that now we're talking about something that a lot of our, you know, lovely listeners would like to know. So mm-hmm. the thing is, you know, so let me ask you this, the recovery after a labioplasty. Oh, yeah. What is the recovery like? Yeah, what is that? It's actually relatively easy. Uh, you, Some of these labioplasties I can actually do in the office under local because there's certain wow. nerves, if you know the anatomy, you mm-hmm. can get these what's called the pudendal block and actually take care of that, and it's, it's painless uh, type of deal. Uh, most women are healed in about two to three weeks. I tell them cautiously, you know, no sex for four weeks or, or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then their basic immune sits back and, and things like that. They're only on narcotics for maybe 24 to 48 hours. The rest of the time it's Tylenol or ibuprofen. So very, very well tolerated operations uh, type of deal. Uh, what we do ask is we do uh, look for the timing of the operation. So we ask that, that we don't do the procedure during their periods oh, because it's, menstrual it's, it's cycle. hard to, yeah, it's hard to monitor what's bleeding and what's not bleeding oh, uh, right. in terms of the surgery itself. So these are all little nuances. Again, that's why you want to go to people that are trained, understand mm-hmm. the anatomy, and take care of the complications associated with that, and have a track record. So ask those questions. Even though it is considered a sensitive area where people are not talking about it, this opens the light, shed light on it, so they can feel comfortable talking about it and not be embarrassed. That brings me to a quick question. Then if you do have a patient that has, say, an abnormal menstrual cycle, and maybe they do bleed often, what do you do in a case like that? We can uh, understand what that cycle is. We can also cycle them on birth control pills and various other ah, things. So okay. again, it's a team approach to yep. all of this. Again, what I love about what I do is mm-hmm. there's many solutions to your problem. Love that. Uh, so Paul mentioned some non-surgical options. We have some additional non-surgical options as well in terms of, I know Paul has a, a, a Neo, which is you know the uh, electromagnetic and uh, mm-hmm. uh, radio frequency uh, device as well, seeing a week that helps strength of the pelvic floor, all of these things that will, will help urinary incontinence, improve, you know, sexual uh, sensation, desires, and, and all that. And then also there's, you know, injections, O-shots, uh, G-shots, and things like that, that, that we can do to uh, enhance, uh, again, uh, those functions there. Uh, I'm so sorry, what's an O-shot? Hormone. Those are different parts in the vaginal vault or in the introitus area, usually mm-hmm. anterior that have a lot of nerve endings. And so what we do is, is as you age, some of those areas become more atrophied, so we can mm-hmm. actually use filler or fat and transfer in that area to plump those areas so that there is more, wow. quote unquote, friction or pressure to give more sensation uh, huh. to that. So again, a lot of women come in as they get older, I feel very dry. So those can be helped by creams and bioidentical hormones. And I just don't feel the same sensation as I did when I was, you know, prepartum before I had babies and, and things like that. Those are things that we can help them with to, to make their lives more in, in, enjoyable and fulfilled. That's amazing. I see that's, I love having people on like you, Dr. Chow, because I, passion. I, I'm all about passion. Sometimes a lot of these OBGYNs, if they do it like anti-aging medicine, they know exactly how to treat, you know, the female a hormonal level when it comes to the bioidentical hormones he's mentioned. Also, sometimes a little bit of testosterone, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. right amount. And, um, we but know that one well. You know, so, <laughs> exactly. We, we, we've talked about that. I do the pellet. I do the pellet. 
Uh, we have that in our office here. Uh, it's once every six months. Uh, they do the pellets wow. uh, type, type of deal. It's kind of like it's a little pellet that you they put into kind of into your flank or near your buttock area. You don't feel it. It's like one of those, uh, you know, uh, things that women put ortho implants underneath their arms or something like that. And, uh, and you would probably know the answer to this because because uh-huh. of the, all these surgeries that I had to go through. Um, it did throw me into almost like an early menopause, and I'm far too young mm-hmm. for a menopause, but because yeah. of that, I didn't want to go through the symptoms. So I've chosen yeah. to do progesterone, testosterone, and an estradiol mm-hmm. patch. Somebody did yeah. mention to me pellets for all three. Is that possible? Yeah. Really? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Huh. Yeah, absolutely. This is a lot of work I got to uh, do right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's all, it's, uh, for me, I'm just, I'm a terrible patient. Uh, so I just <laughs> I'm a terrible patient. Make it as easy as possible. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I do a lot right now. (laughs) Now, um, so since besides you coming up here to see patients, you know, here in our office up in the Beverly Hills area, uh, you're in La Jolla mostly? Yes, I'm I'm in La Jolla and then Encinitas, which is the north end or Rancho Santa Fe. I've got offices there. Yeah, so those are the two places that I predominantly uh, reside at. But in terms of my office, it's in my office there. I do a lot of surgery uh, in the hospital systems and uh, you know, and um, chief over at the Sharp Systems, so which is where we did our surgery together um, for the botched uh, case uh, recently. Well, I'll tell you something. I mean, this was a great segment because we haven't really talked about really got into BBLs and if you are going to do no. it here's the best way to do it yeah and and then some of the aspects of it and the dangers but also some of the positive outcomes and where the field is going and then especially about the vaginal surgery that you know, uh, yeah i mean aesthetics and functional wanna, combined you know i want to uh, take the taboo off of that one i mean so yeah. i mean it's eventually going to get to remember how no one wanted to say they have Botox, and everyone says yes. they have Botox. And You're now, almost oh, weird yeah. if you don't. <laughs> you know, now, yeah, I've had my boobs done numerous times, and then eventually, yeah. you know, depending on who needs what. We're working our way down. Area. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, and then again, there'll probably be more, you know, more mainstream penile surgery. You know, who knows yeah. for um, yeah. erectile yeah. dysfunction, ED, that... Uh, um, you know, I know urologists mostly do that, though, don't they? Yeah, uh, but uh, I get called in to do some micro cases uh, huh. with that because it revolves the, the nerve uh, because sometimes they've been injured in radical prostatectomies. Can we then bypass those nerves and get function back and, and things like that? So it's a, it, these are all evolving areas. So, you know, we're getting better and better at what we can do and what we can offer uh, surgically. I could talk to you all day, Dr. Chow. You're, it's fascinating. Uh, and I love hanging out with Dr. Nassif. But Dr. Yeah, Chow, where absolutely. can um, everybody find you? Do, do you have social media, um, website? Yeah, I, I'm not a big social media guy, believe it or not. My brother is a huge social media guy. He's a pro football doc. He's got like 600,000 followers. Not quite as many as, as Paul, but uh, but they, they can certainly uh, call my office or go to the Prime Plastic Surgery website or the Oasis MD uh, website. The Oasis MD is my reconstructive practice and the aesthetic practice is primeplasticsurgery.com and you'll see me there. Yeah. 
or call Dr. Nasa because I'm there on Tuesdays. <laughs> That's right. Come Paul, over here. That's Paul, good to know. Paul, Paul, good to know. Paul, 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 is the, Paul is the guy that everybody knows. <laughs> call Nasa MD. Yeah, yeah, call Nasa MD. Yeah, but we got to get, we have to get a little, and it's funny having James up here because, you know, it's nice is one thing too, you know, when you're a doctor um, in what we do, one, you want to make sure that you have good aesthetic sense, uh, many surgeries in the armamentarium if you get no uncomfortable situation or something different and also well-read and well-versed. So he has all of that, you know. So we're very lucky to have you. And Dr. James, thank you for having you on our show. And um, of course, I can't wait to see you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you so much. And everybody listening or watching, please be sure to check us out on YouTube, Demystify Beauty, Wherever you want to get your podcasts, subscribe, like, and send us those questions. We're loving the questions you're sending. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Chow. Thank you for listening to Demystify Beauty, produced by Gotham Production Studios. If you have any questions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on Instagram at demystifybeauty or email us at demystifybeauty at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. See you next time.